0: Hey, hey, creepy cats. We're back for more of Ew, That's Creepy. This week, we will be discussing wrongful imprisonments, starting with the case of Termaine Hicks. As most of you can guess, these cases rely heavily on racial injustice and could potentially be very triggering. Though we do want to raise awareness for these issues, listener discretion is advised. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Ooh That's Creepy.
1: Hey, creepy cats. I hope you guys are all doing very well because today the story we have is pretty depressing.
0: It's horrible. It's not fun. There's no way we can make it fun or make it funny. I mean, it's not like any of the other murders. That we've spoken of have been fun. Yeah, so the
1: theme that we're doing this week is wrongful convictions. And I'm just going to say basically based on race. (laughs) Yeah. That's just uh, the reason, I would say, for the wrongful conviction. That's all there is to say. So these stories are pretty depressing. But they have a happy ending, so.
0: And Jackie and I are recording this one on February 1st. And it is Black History Month, so what better way to, I mean, I hate to say what better way to dive into Black History Month than to tell these horrific tales. There, It's not a good way at all, but... Um,
1: it's a very sad reminder Yeah, this month, especially in America. Um, it's been a very, very hard history for... Black people, so... And it seems like it really gets harder, but...
0: And the reason why (laughs) I really want to focus on this, too, is that wrongful convictions because you are black and because of race, that is not taboo. So I think that talking about these two stories that we both have chosen and really focusing on the fact that these men were literally sent to jail because they were black that's not taboo and so that's why i feel like it's really important for this podcast to focus on that because um if more people can hear these stories as being more common then it won't be so wild and crazy when it happens and then maybe we can take more precautions so that it doesn't even get to that point in the first place
1: exactly
0: with all that being said three minutes in jackie take it away, girl.
1: Alrighty, so this is, um, a pretty technical story, so, like, listen up. Okay. Okay, so this is about Termaine Joseph Hicks, aka Jermaine Weeks. That's just, like, what the court documents say, but the... Um newspaper documentaries that that I've read recently that like just come out last month or so have, have called him Termaine Joseph hicks
0: I like that name Termaine I
1: know. it's nice um so let's just jump right into um, the day everything went down on november twenty seventh two thousand one shortly before five a m our First victim of this story, I'm just going to reference her as W.L. Because I don't want to expose her identity. And I'm sure this has been hard enough on her, so I'm not going to expose her identity. But we'll just call her W.L. Okay. Was on her way to work at a Dunkin' Donuts in South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. As she was walking down Mifflin Street near St. Agnes Hospital, she approached 15th Street, when a man grabbed her from behind and pointed a gun at her. The assailant dragged W.L. into the hospital's loading dock area. Um, When he was dragging her, she was screaming, so he began punching her in the face and beating her repeatedly in the head with both his his fist and the gun.
0: Ew. Scumbag.
1: Yeah. W.L. recounted that the man beat her until she couldn't scream anymore. And it all happened so fast that she was obviously extremely frightened. Mm -hmm. And she suffered severe blood loss and um, head trauma. The man pulled down her pants and he Mm -hmm. did sexually assault her. I hate that. I know. She did say later on that she couldn't see his face at all during this attack because it was so dark there. And she was just so terrified and confused. And she had also just been beaten about. The head with a fist and a gun right so on in an apartment on fifth 15th street there was a neighbor i'm not going to use their first names because i don't want to expose anybody so i'll just use their last names um vata and nelson they ran in their in the apartment building and they heard screams for help and just screams of distress and they lived right across the street from the loading dock and they called police um right around 5 a.m. So Vada described in the 911 call that he could actually see the attack happening and that a man was in the was in a black jacket with a grayish hood and he was dragging the victim behind a dumpster. Oh
0: my. In the St.
1: Agnes delivery lot.
0: So people were just literally could see this man attacking this woman.
1: Yeah, like she was screaming. So. At random. Yeah. She was screaming, so I think neighbors looked outside, and by the time they had looked, he was just, like, pulling her behind a dumpster, which is so terrifying. <sighs> he couldn't see the perpetrator's face because they said it's... Everyone says it's really, really dark in this area. I mean, it's a loading dock behind a hospital, and he's watching this unfold from an apartment building
0: right window.
1: So he couldn't see the perpetrator's face because a gray hood was covering his head and obscuring his face. So, yeah, he told the operator, the 911 operator, he couldn't see the man. And he couldn't even see if they were white or black. They just knew it was a, a guy. Another individual who lived, um, I don't know if it's in the same apartment building or a different one. But anyway, um, right near there, was going to call 911. But he heard somebody say that they had a, like were already on it. So, I think he even just hung up. But he did recount that he heard screams of a woman and saw a woman being pulled behind the loading dock. But it was really dark and he couldn't see who the attacker was. Uh, so.
0: Okay, and I'm sorry. I'm not trusting anybody's word that they called 911. I'm calling 911 and then I feel like I would be, like, yelling outside. Like, I'm calling the police. Like, <laughs> I would want to let yeah, the know true. that.
1: Yeah, that is true. But the witness, the civilians... They're fine in the story. <laughs> They're good.
0: You're right. I, you know what? <laughs> At least they called the police. Some people wouldn't exactly. even. So At I shouldn't
1: called the. It is nice knowing that. like, yeah, two people were gonna call the cops. You're I right. I mean, they must have been talking back and forth. If somebody said like, I already did.
0: You're so. right. I shouldn't be too harsh. Okay, keep going. <laughs> My apologies. It's
1: okay. <laughs> But, um, so responding to the calls that there was a rape and attack in progress behind the St. Agnes Hospital, several Philadelphia Police Department officers um, came to the scene pretty quickly. Because that's something that serious. Yeah. All they knew was that it was a male perpetrator in a gray hooded sweatshirt and a black jacket. Officers Martin Vincent and Dennis Zangolo were first to respond. I'm gonna use their first names because I think they will be in the limelight soon. At 5:06 a.m., they informed dispatch that they were um, on the location, but they they parked their car like at the entrance of the hospital. But they wanted to like walk down, so they didn't. The person wouldn't run off at the sound of their car. Um, but
0: if it's an attack in progress. I feel like you would want to be pretty up there because I would assume that this person is armed. I assume that there would be potentially a shooting and potentially a victim running, but okay.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know really. That's just what they said. It's like, I don't know. I I mean, that does make sense. That does make
0: sense. But at the same time, it's kind of like...
1: It's also kind of just like get to the victim as quick as you can type thing. I agree. Let's flash to our victim here, um, Termaine Hicks. I'll just say Hicks for now. For the sake of quickness of the story. This day evening, because, you know, that's going to 5 a.m., so... Wait, why
0: are we jumping to him? I want to know what happened to the victim. Girl, I know you
1: do, but listen, because those two stories are about to meet up.
0: Sorry.
1: It's okay, but I know. I don't want to cut enough there, but... It's important that
0: I do. Sorry, I'll edit this, that part out.
1: <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> but, So, Mr. Hicks at this time, he's in his mid-twenties. He's the manager at a local Popeyes. I actually read that the Popeyes that he was the manager at was right next door to the Dunkin' Donuts that W.L. worked at. Coincidentally. Okay. Because she was going. Anyway, he finished his evening shift at the Popeyes. He said that him and his younger brother watched movies at his apartment, and at around 4.30 a.m., Mr. Hicks walked his brother to the bus stop, and he went to buy cigars before going back to his house. Okay. He went to Rite Aid, and then Walgreens, and then A-plus Mini Market on 17th Street, because he was, like, looking for a particular brand of cigars (laughs) that he wanted, and he finally found them at the A-plus. So, as he was walking on his way home, he heard screams. First as he passed 16th Street, and then again when he got near 15th Street. Hicks looked up the street and saw a man standing on the corner of 15th Street and Mif- Mifflin. I guess that's an intersection. In Philadelphia. Uh, he said that the woman's screams got louder and he like looked at the guy and saw that he was just standing there at the corner. So he started to walk up the street to where the sounds were. And when he crossed the street, he said that the guy standing there like hollered something and then walked away. And a second man, wearing a dark jacket and a gray hoodie, came running from the back of the St. Agnes Hospital. And he, the man, ran up 15th Street and turned and fled in the direction of Mifflin Avenue. Hicks started walking to the back of the hospital and saw that it was like the Lodic Dock area. And he looked around and he was like that the man had just come from there. So he started walking towards it and he saw a white tennis shoe on the ground. It wasn't far from a dumpster. So he just kept walking and he saw the silhouette of a person, WL, <laughs> on the ground. WL's face was covered in blood and her pants were below her knees. Hicks asked WL if she was okay, but she didn't respond. He nudged her a little bit with her foot with his foot and she didn't move. Hicks began to reach for his cell phone, which was in his right jacket pocket for because he was gonna call nine one one for help. At that point, he heard an officer say, Freeze, get your hands up. Hicks testified that he was startled by the officers. I don't think he... He was probably shook by what he, he really seeing. didn't even hear them. Yeah, he didn't even hear them. So, he turned down and looked at W.L., who at that point sat, like, was conscious and looked up. And he was starting to say to the officers he was trying to help her and was going to call 911. But the officer said, get your hands up and don't move. Hicks said that um, he had his back completely to the officers. He wasn't looking them in the face at all. And his hand was still just on his cell phone inside his jacket pocket. So when he started to get his hand out of his pocket, because they said, get your hands up, he just heard shots. And he fell to his knees, onto his face, chipping his front tooth when he hit the ground and he was shot three times in the back. Officer Vinson had encountered Hicks in the dark little part where W.L. had been attacked and saw him standing over top the victim and shot him three times when he moved his hand, even though that's what they told him to do. So Hicks and W.L. were both taken to Jefferson Hospital, and Hicks underwent emergency surgery for three bullet wounds. One bullet entered the back of his arm, came out the front of his arm, and then went to his side, and it was re- there was one removed from his chest, and two other bullet fragments were collected at the hospital.
0: Did that, and I don't know if you know this, but did that officer have the right to shoot him with his back turned?
1: Um... Yeah, if you think he has... A weapon? Yeah, but...
0: Uh, I don't... I just... I mean, and I couldn't be wrong because, like, obviously my life isn't in danger, so I've never known, but it just seems like a lot to shoot someone three times in the back.
1: It definitely is something you have to consider, yeah, if someone has their back turned to you and you can't see that far what they have in their pocket, like... If they have their back turned to you, you're definitely going to have enough time before they reach it and take it out. So, I will say, before I continue on with this story, I mean, he did yell out. Hicks said he yelled out that he was just trying to help her. And they told him to get his hands out of his pocket and put his hands up. So, I'm not totally going to... I do think... I think it's wrong that they shot in the first place, but I think that much on its face they probably could have just been fine with it.
0: Right. And I do... If they like, would have straight
1: up just said they thought he was pulling That's the why I out. wanted
0: to ask because that very much could be police protocol. Like, if they're not... If they have their hands in their pockets to shoot. So, I yeah. don't know. But to me, that just seems excessive.
1: It definitely just depends, I think, on, like, Philadelphia's protocol. Because each, like, they're kind of different. But I think that much in and of itself probably would have been especially in this day and age would have been fine right get, if, they, if they if that would have been the end of the story, I think it could have been fine for them
0: Ugh.
1: but girl it is not the end of the story by any any means. So WL was treated yeah for lacerations to her head and face and a rape kit was collected but
0: did they ask her is that the man who did it?
1: I'm gonna get to it. <sighs> so one of the big things the big thing of the story is that when the police got to the scene and when they did search Hicks afterwards they found a gun on him okay to start off with when they went there there was like no none of the witnesses said that the um, attacker had a gun like none of the witnesses saw that even though he did in real life and WL knew that None of them saw that, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But there was a gun found on the scene, so it is pretty obvious that once the officers shot Hicks and realized that he was not the person and did not match the description of the attacker, Mm -hmm. they planted the gun on him.
0: Fuck off. Did they really? Yeah. Where did they get it?
1: Girl... We're going to talk about that.
0: So <laughs> oh, but...
1: Hicks said that when he, after he got shot, Officer Vincent patted him down and said something like, damn. And he said that Officer Vincent started to cry, kind of. He knew. Kept patting <laughs> him down. At that point, I think Hicks kind of was going in and out of consciousness because other officers arrived and said that his eyes were kind of just opening and shutting Officer Benson radioed in the shooting and said, I'm trying to get the male to uh, put his hands up and I couldn't see him. He was reaching for something and I couldn't see it.
0: And why not just admit that? Like everyone said, it was dark. Why not just admit that?
1: Yeah. Meanwhile, another officer, Officer Robert Ellis, responded to the scene with his partner, Officer Dwayne Watson. According to Officer Ellis, when he got on the scene, Officer Vincent said to him, Get the gun, get the gun, it should be in his pocket. Officer Ellis testified that he recovered a thirty eight caliber Taurus from Hicks' right pocket. Because of that much, because of the gun and what the officers said, um, Hicks was arrested for the assault and the rape and possession of the gun.
0: I'm so pissed off. I don't, know. I don't have any commentary. Keep going.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. It's so, so annoying.
0: My story's not much better.
1: So, when they tested the... <laughs> yeah. When they tested the gun that was found, allegedly found in Hicks pocket, it was registered to an active Philadelphia Police Department officer named Valerie Brown. According to Officer Brown, she bought the gun 12 years ago from Corporal... Stantner, a retired police officer for Philadelphia. She said that she kept the gun in a, stored in a closet in her basement and she had no idea that the weapon was, was even missing, was even taken from her house. So she had never reported it because she didn't even know it was gone. Bam. The police were never able to establish any connection between Officer Brown and Hicks, obviously. So the fact that the, like, Officer Ellis also claimed to retrieve the gun out of uh, Hicks' pocket, and he said it was bloody, like covered in blood. The Commonwealth said that that was because Hicks had beat W.L. with the gun, and it was covered in her blood. Okay. But the defense said from the jump that...
0: They didn't know that.
1: The defense said from the jump that that can't be true because... Officer Ellis claimed that he found the gun in Hicks's jacket pocket and it was wet and bloody. But they said if it had been placed in Hicks's jacket pocket, there should have been blood all over the inside of Hicks's jacket pocket. Right. There wasn't. So it's like pretty obvious from the jump that the gun was never in In his, his
0: pocket. pocket.
1: Okay. So already from the jump that's like cuz you know, he's He's going to go to trial, so they're developing evidence at this point. Right. Yeah, so it's like uh, pretty clear. And it did end up going to trial on October 31st, 2002. Okay. But there was also more things about this case that weren't revealed to the jury, so I'm going to say them before it gets into it rather than after, just because... Give because me the it's tea. No,
0: no, I'm pissed off.
1: Yeah, you. Sh- yeah, we should be pissed off. And it's easy to see now in hindsight, like all this stuff. But yeah, I mean, keep it in mind, if like for the jury, they didn't know all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so this also was not the first time that Officer Ellis had allegedly uh, planted evidence on an innocent person.
0: I hate
1: him, yeah. So he's not the one doing the shooting, but remember, he's the one who pulled up on the scene, right? So, in 1998, um, in a case called US v. Mortimer, um, it was kind of like a long story where Officer Ellis claimed that he was like in a physical struggle with um two guys and somehow. He knocked a gun out of the defendant's hand onto the street and that he found a second gun in his waistband. (laughs) Uh,
0: That doesn't even make any sense.
1: Yeah. So a a firearms examiner and ballistics supervisor testified at Mortimer's retrial, the defendant's retrial, that the appearance of the gun was inconsistent with um, Officer Ellis's account (laughs) and Ellis originally signed a property receipt stating that he recovered 15 bullets from the magazine, but that didn't align with the actual number of bullets that were recovered. So, I mean, in summary, it's kind of obvious that he has planted evidence before.
0: How are you still allowed to be an officer?
1: Girl, and listen, there's also a little bit of documentation that his partner, Officer Watson, who is also involved with this Um, He's also come under some heat because in February 2020, Watson was arrested for perjury after he arrested five individuals for drug transactions during a raid um, in in a southwest Philadelphia deli. Oh, my God. And Watson's account was contradicted by video surveillance, which led to the dismissal of charges against the five individuals in his own prosecution for perjury. He was also, yeah. So he's Ellis's partner. Two guys accused of planting evidence. You mean to tell me- One accused of planting evidence and one accused of perjury.
0: You mean to tell me you can be accused of perjury by the government and not lose your job as an officer?
1: Well, that happened in- Okay, so the perjury thing happened in 2020.
0: Oh. This happened
1: in 2000, 2001 for Officer Watson. Okay. The thing with Officer Ellis, though, happened in 1999.
0: So this happened. He had been... Officer Ellis had been accused of planting evidence before. hmm Okay.
1: Yeah, but the jury... Before that went to trial, the jury never even knew of that. But that happened before, so I wanted to say it already happened. Okay. Yeah. So, um, a different time when Officer... Vincent spoke to internal affairs in 2002 before the trial started his story had already changed and he said that he um shot his gun when hicks was reaching for something that was what he said at first but he changed it to saying that he shot hicks when hicks pulled out a gun and pointed it at him
0: how in the hell is your story changing from that to that
1: yep And when Hicks was at the hospital, he wasn't wearing a gray hat or a gray hoodie, as the 911 calls had stated. Yeah. Um, His things were taken at the hospital and held an investigation. And he was wearing on that day a black leather jacket, a red and black polo shirt, a white t-shirt, gray sweatpants, yellow boxers, white socks, and Timberland boots. I almost said Tim's, but not everyone would know. Timberland boots. He also had a cell phone and a wristwatch. Which were in his pocket. Which he was trying to grab. He had no gun on himself. other then the one that was planted on him.
0: I am honestly surprised that the police didn't photoshop the hat and the black jacket on him. And use that as evidence in the trial.
1: I'm sorry to tell you this. It keeps getting worse. Yeah. Just go.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. So. His trial began, yeah, on October 31st, 2002. And ended on November 8th, 2002. Um... Through an interpreter, I don't know why that's important, but that was in a lot of documents, so whatever. But through an interpreter, WL said that she couldn't recall a lot about her attacker. She said that she was terrified and confused, and she couldn't see the assailant, assailant's face at any point. Mm-hmm. She said that she was grabbed from behind, beaten in the face, it was so dark out, and she was so scared. She had significant head trauma and actually suffered pretty bad headaches after the attack. And she told the police that she thought that when the police arrived, the man who was raping her was still there because, in her words, the attack ended when there were spotlights and there were cars around. She never said that Hicks did it, but she said that she just remembers the rape stopping when there were car lights around. Mm -hmm. So the defense obviously just argued that WL was mistaken because of her extreme fear, but they never had forensic investigations or tests done. I don't know if it was because, I mean, this was in 2002, so it's like, it definitely could be testing is nowhere near where it is today, Mm -hmm. or because they don't have money, because I don't think, I don't know who his defense attorneys were, but I don't think he, like, could pay for defense attorneys. So when you get public defenders, you obviously kind of have a low budget, which sucks. That's another reason. Why well, you when have you're more money.
0: going out in the middle of the night to get cigars, and then the next yeah, fucking you day you're that, on trial.
1: Exactly. You don't think you're gonna first of all have to find a rape victim and be an amazing human being and, try and, and go help. try to help get shot by the police, and then a gun is planted on you, but. <laughs> Yeah, so, sadly, the defense didn't have any forensic investigations or tests on. So, the main witnesses for the Commonwealth in the trial were 16 police officers. What a surprise. What? Yeah, mostly around... Because there were other officers who came on the scene and, you know, like, rendered first aid and all that stuff. Yeah. But one of the main people was Officer Vincent, because he's the one who did the shooting. So, this... Trigger warning, this is going to really piss everybody off.
0: I'm already pissed off, so.
1: He testified that as he entered the loading dock area, he heard a faint moan and a muffled voice yelling or saying, shut up. His partner, Officer Zongolo, was right behind him. And But when he was called as a witness, he testified that he didn't hear anything. Mm -hmm. Officer Vincent claimed that he walked over there to where the dumpster was and saw the silhouette of a person on the ground and another person, and he saw that the male was laying on top of her both had their pants down. Officer Vincent and Zongolo both testified that they ordered Hicks to get up off the victim several times. They both stated that they saw Hicks stand up and pull up his pants. Vincent even said that he saw Hicks pulling out his penis out of her vagina. That's what his testimony is, so I'm very sorry for that graphic description. That is just straight up the trial transcript, so I'm very, very sorry.
0: Meanwhile, everybody and their mother has already testified that it was so dark you couldn't even see. Exactly, but but somehow he
1: saw, yeah, his penis, even though... His back is also turned to them. He somehow saw that, but I digress. Officer Vincent said that he saw Hicks, yeah, bent down, and when he pulled his pants up, they told him to put his hands up and to turn around. But then they told him, I guess, to put his hands up against the wall. Vincent said that Mr. Hicks was just looking around, so he tried to gain control of his hands, But Hicks somehow took his right hand and like was got a hold of Vincent's hand. So Officer Vincent backed up and then tripped and fell into Officer Zungalow's arms who caught him and pushed him back up. Then Officer Vincent said that Hicks turned around and backed away and Vincent was saying, put your hands up where I can see them. And by the second or third time he said that he said that Hicks withdrew his weapon and Officer Vincent told him to put his hands up again and that Hicks lunged at him and that he shot him. That was when he shot him. And he said that Hicks was almost fully facing him and lunged when he shot him twice. He said that Hicks then stepped back and raised his gun at him when Vincent shot him a third time. Vincent said multiple times throughout the testimony that Hicks was basically facing him when he shot him. Zungalow said that Vincent shot Hicks after Hicks thrust his arm out of his jacket pocket. Zungalo never said that Hicks said, like, he heard that dialogue or anything. And he said that he didn't see Hicks' hands and didn't know if he was holding anything.
0: But I thought this whole scuffle happened. Where-
1: it, yeah, exactly. I thought so, too. There were also their stories were contradicted by the witnesses who did testify in this trial and other officers. So Officer Michael Yowse, I don't know if that's how you spell his last name. It's House with a Y. Yaus and his partner, Frank Holmes, came to the scene right afterwards. And they said that they saw Hicks standing over the victim. They said they only heard the officers yell, let me see your hands, and just heard the three shot gunshots follow afterwards. Civilian witnesses, though, Vada, you remember him, he mm-hmm. called 911, he said that he heard the officers only say, freeze, and put your hands up, put your hands up, before he heard shots, and Nelson said that he- she heard them say, put your hands up two or three times before she heard gunshots, which... Also, can I just say, could you imagine being the freaking neighbors, the type of PTSD they probably have? No. First of all, watching this woman get attacked, and then watching someone get shot by police right outside their apartment.
0: I hope they got any help they needed.
1: I did too. Those poor, all those neighbors in those buildings who had to see that. So at the trial, the Commonwealth tried to use. Well, they did use the results of the DQ Alpha DNA test performed on the blood stains on Hicks's pant legs and waistband to say that the blood stains were a result of Hicks beating WL with the gun, and then ha- like handling his own clothing,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and blood from the barrel of the gun was like some of it was WL's, um, and there was also blood near the waistband of Hicks's boxer shorts and the right leg of his sweatpants that was consistent with WLs. However, Robert Dillard, a DNA analyst for um, Philadelphia Crime Lab, said that without question, the blood definitely could have transferred from WL to Hicks during, after the shots happened and the police, you know, were patting Hicks down when he was lying in the alley because they said WL was, uh, profusely bleeding and hicks was too and they were only like a little bit away from each other
0: right yeah
1: so he said it definitely it couldn't have happened in two ways it was possible that hicks fell onto the ground where wl's blood was or a responding officer touched wl before tending to mr hicks when he was wounded okay Officer Ellis, yes, said that there was blood all over the gun. And he said that he had blood on his hands. That's how bloody the gun was when he continued to search Mr. Hicks. So he's already saying that he had blood on him when he was searching Hicks. So I'm easily explains some blood could have gotten transferred right there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. He
1: said that when he did a second little pack down of Hicks that um, Officer Ellis had already had wl's blood on him so the defense obviously argued that much and said that the police not only planted evidence uh, such as the gun they misidentified hicks and the blood that was on him from wl was just from them like the police officers or from accident and that wl never positively identified hicks okay But on November 8, 2002, the jury convicted Hicks of rape, aggravated assault, possession of an instrument of crime, and terroristic threats. I don't know what that's for, but it doesn't really matter. Hicks wasn't sentenced until February uh, 27, 2003, because the court had to reconsider some motions, specifically a motion for extraordinary relief in the form of um, judgment of acquittal in a new trial. Based on production of a surveillance camera footage, which was captured um, at the hospital at the beginning of W.L.'s attack, the jury never saw the surveillance tape, and it showed at the beginning of the attack, it showed the beginning of the attack, and it showed a man wearing um, a black jacket with a gray hood attacking W.L., which was very similar to what the eyewitness who had called 911 had said, and it showed that man, yeah, dragging her behind the hospital. The surveillance teams were viewed by detectives at the hospital the day of the crime. However, a copy of the video wasn't given to to Hicks or his counsel until more than one year later and after the trial was over. (laughs) They said that the delay was because of, like, something with the tape, in the available video playback equipment they had.
0: Yeah, right. Okay.
1: Yeah. Like, obviously.
0: How can you not get the equipment? It's literally a, tr- a government trial.
1: Yeah, so not only does it show that it's consistent with somebody who isn't Hicks at the crime, because they're not wearing what Hicks is wearing, mm-hmm. it also showed something else. Um, it showed that during the attack, three minutes after... W.L. was dragged into the alley that a white delivery van with its rear lights and headlights pulled into the loading dock where she was being attacked. And the van, was stayed, it stayed parked for two minutes and when it left, it left just before Hicks arrived. So that's consistent with what W.L. said in her statement that the rape ended when she saw car lights. Because it ended, the van's lights scared off the attacker. Oh.
0: When the van
1: pulled in, the attacker mm-hmm. obviously had gotten scared and ran off. Mm-hmm. And she just thought that the rape ended then. She probably blacked out because Hicks just got there like a couple minutes later and released right. it at the same time.
0: Wow. But oh, the
1: trial, they never talked about that, which is so annoying. So, Hicks was sentenced to 12 and a half to 25 years in prison. So, Hicks contacted the Innocence Project for assistance two years after his conviction, and his case was accepted by them in 2011. Thank God, because Innocence Project gets stuff done. They do not mess around, so thank God for the Innocence Project. Yeah,
0: thank fuck. I mean...
1: Yeah, so he wanted access to like dna testing of all the evidence that had been there like had taken because like they had a lot of evidence and i don't think they could test it like back in 2001 mm-hmm. but um they could so he filed a motion he filed a lot of motions i'm not going to read them i'll save you guys the trouble he filed a lot of motions throughout the way but he filed a motion for post-conviction dna testing um, in November of 2015, and after some hearings on that, the court ordered the DNA testing in
0: 2017.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, in 2017, they got the ball basically rolling on that and finally sent the all the evidence that they had, including w l s pants, underwear, um... Vaginal swabs in Hicks sweatpants, all that stuff they sent to the DNA place.
0: Okay, pause. You mean to tell me they didn't have DNA testing in 2001 for a swab from a rape kit? I don't...
1: I think they had... I Girl, I literally do not know. I think it said that they had, like, some some DNA, but it wasn't, like, so much at that point that they could test it. Okay,
0: so maybe it was more developed, and now they can develop just for further testing? also,
1: it's, like, as sad as it is, the defense didn't ask for it. So, like, the prosecution, it's not like they were going to do it, and they probably realized their case was so fragile as it is (sighs) because... (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, multiple rounds of DNA testing were performed on W.L.'s underwear and Um, her pants in order to identify the DNA left behind during the attack when he pulled off her clothes. Um, They used STR DNA testing and YSTR testing, which is a form that specifically targets male DNA. Um, I'm not going to read all this legalese, but they found that the genetic makeup of the DNA that was found was of a male, and it was not of Hicks. And he was conclusively excluded as providing the DNA.
0: Oh, my God.
1: A further comparison did show that WL's husband shared a similar genetic marker, but not like saying he was the attacker. It's just, I oh. mean, his DNA was inside your pants if they lived together. Oh, wait, yeah. A...
0: That's true.
1: But, um... I don't know if they'd ever said they, like, tested him or anything like that, but they just said that the foreign DNA on her underwear and the DNA on the waistband was similar. None of them were Hicks's. Both were similar. Could have been her husband. They never know.
0: Okay. Either way, it wasn't Hicks. That's for damn sure.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, that's the main point, was that it wasn't Hicks. They did say that there was a stain on um the top, I think, of her pant leg which was Hicks, but they just said that's presumably just from the um police officers transferring the blood right from them to her. They also said that like some part of the testing of just the way the DNA was placed on Hicks and Dumul's pants demonstrated that the blood wasn't transferred until after Hicks was shot. Okay. So that just further supported the defense. So they also had expert forensic analysis done to the directionality of the gunshots. Uh, Dr. Michael Baden, he's a board-certified anatomic pathologist, He does a lot of work. He has a lot of credentials. I honestly am not going to try to pronounce them because I'll get tongue-tied. But he was like the former medical legal investigation director for NY State PD. He does all the things.
0: Get his ass in here.
1: He concluded, based on the evidence and all that, that the three hollow-point bullets fired at Vincent struck him in the back. They hit close to his spine, one in his left butt, and then in the rear of his upper arm. So he concluded that they hit him from behind, which obviously goes against...
0: Period. Everything that they said is a lie.
1: Yep. So, Chief Medical Examiner for the City of Philadelphia, Dr. Sam Galano, initially... In his report, said that he couldn't really tell the directionality. But in his new report, like around this time, he concluded in 2019 that one of the gunshots he said to the right arm, he still couldn't really tell where it came from. But based on radiographs and other stuff regarding the directionality of the remaining wounds he found that the entrance wounds were in the left portion of the back and left butt and that the bullets exited the front of the body through the upper abdomen and the left groin. So based on that evidence, Hicks filed his motion to vacate the judgment against him, concluding that there were now two experts who agreed that all three bullets struck Hicks from behind and that he was clearly standing facing away from the officers when he was shot, which completely... Goes against their story that he lunged at them. Boom. Boom, baby.
0: Mic drop on your weak ass, lying ass story.
1: Mm hmm. So, Hicks' motion for relief summarized that Hicks' conviction um, resulted from the unavailability at the time of trial of exculpatory evidence that has subsequently become available and would have changed the outcome of the trial if it had been introduced. And that state and federal constitutional violations so undermine the truth-determining process that no reliable adjudication of guilt or innocence could have taken place. Bam, baby. His defense, the Innocence Project, they were on his case now. They weren't playing around. They said, we don't even want a new trial because that happens sometimes. They said, vacate the whole judgment. Throw it all out.
0: Damn.
1: Yeah, they literally said that. They said throw the whole thing out. Good. They said new forensic pathology evidence demonstrates that Hicks was convicted and resulted from violations of the Constitution of this Commonwealth or the Constitution of the U.S. And it should just be thrown out.
0: Throw her ass to the curb now.
1: So, Philadelphia Common Pleas Court Judge Tracy Brandeis Roman vacated the conviction and offered a bittersweet congratulation to Hicks. She extended a sincere apology to Hicks and the victim. Um she did say that before well, I'll get to that in a second. But anyway, um she said that she felt really bad but she was hoping to improve the system by this case <laughs>
0: He's like oh thank you I'm thank you for you feeling bad that really makes up for the many years of my life I just lost in jail yeah I but mean, you feeling bad makes me feel better thanks I'll keep going being black while you can try and fix <laughs> the justice system in the meantime yeah
1: I mean it's like what is she gonna say but still it was kind of I was just like,
0: I know it's like, what can they say? And it's (laughs) not really on her, but like from his standpoint, I would be like, I don't even want to hear the apology at this point. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me about the money.
1: Yeah. So when he was sentenced, he had told the judge at that point, an innocent man can't sit in jail for long, which is sad Mm. because he um, had been in jail for uh, a long time, but he had parole hearings and he had said... He would not accept responsibility for the crime, so he said the whole time that he was innocent. His attorney for the Innocence Project, Vanessa Potkin, said he is going to be returned to something that he should have had on November 27th when police encountered him, but he didn't. The presumption of innocence.
0: Yes! Yeah. So...
1: He is the sixteenth person exon- exonerated by the Conviction Integrity Unit since District Attorney Larry Krasner took office in Philadelphia in 2018.
0: Wait, so sixteen? Just 16 in Philadelphia? In
1: Philadelphia, yeah. Uh huh. The chief of that unit, Patricia Cummings, said um, that her officers they weren't going to retry the case as it was tainted beyond repair. She said false testimony was used and I believe it's impossible to say that did not contribute to the conviction. She said before um, finalizing the decision to drop the charges, she consulted with WL and her family who said that um, the trauma of a retrial would be unbearable and they didn't want that either.
0: you know, that's so sad for WL because now at this point, they have to live with the fact that some of the things that they said in something that happened to them could potentially and did ruin someone else's life.
1: In their on top of the that, the person who attacked them was never found.
0: Because they were never, never even looked found. for. Never
1: looked for. So, a rapist who probably would have killed her since he had a gun could be on the loose in Philadelphia and no one knows. That's well, horrific. Know now, but yeah, so... Potkin, um, Hicks's attorney, said that he's focused on returning to society and building a relationship with his son because he was a father... I forgot if I said that at the time. I'm sorry. He was a father of one, and he was, um, like, in his mid-20s when that happened.
0: That made me hate the story his even fa- more.
1: Yeah. His father is now 24, and Hicks is meeting his two-year-old grandson for the first time because he didn't want him to see him in prison. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. Awkward, so he was, awkward laugh because I'm sad. Awkward laugh because I'm sad.
0: How long was he actually in prison?
1: Um, He was convicted in 2000. Sentenced in 2000. He was arrested when this happened in 2001. Convicted in 2002. Sentenced in 2003, I think. And released in 2000, 2020. December
0: 2020. So almost 19 years. Well, uh-huh. no, 19 years from 2001 to 2020. Yep. I thought his sentence was only for 12 years.
1: Well, he would never... They would never lower it or let him out because he would never say sorry or anything because he was like, I didn't do this.
0: He shouldn't... Yeah, he shouldn't have agreed to it either. It just sucks that he could have gotten less time for saying he did it.
1: It's like he shouldn't have to freaking admit... Something he didn't do to get out early. They should no. look at the evidence and see it was sus from the jump and let him out based and, on the evidence.
0: And these police officers, there needs to there needs to be some. They need to be held accountable. Tell me about yeah. that.
1: Uh, well, okay, so let's just. I'm trying to end on a happy. They. I'll just say that because I guess that won't be happy. But no. Um. They are investigating that. I mean, this happened in 2020, so they're obviously investigating mm. the whole. I mean, they created a unit basically for wrongful convictions, so I'm pretty sure they're investigating all of Philadelphia Police Unit.
0: That'll take a while, I presume, just because this is one case. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm saying if there were 16 overturned convictions, it might take them a while to get to this case.
1: Yeah, and according to the National Registry of Exonerations, police misconduct has played a role in 35% of wrongful convictions. <gasps> Resulting in exonerations since nineteen
0: eighty nine. We but, need to do something about this.
1: Girl, I know. But okay, so let's talk about Hicks. Cause I wish there would have been more just about like him and his life and who he is as a person. Cause that's who we should focus on is who he is as a person and uplifting him. Very true. So he wrote and directed It's
0: cute cute that song that's like Tell Me Something oh Good <laughs> Me right now. <laughs>
1: Okay, so, (laughs) he did try to do, you know, some good things, obviously, in prison. He wrote and directed 12 plays when he was in (laughs) prison.
0: There goes my boyfriend running up the steps like an animal.
1: (laughs) Okay, so, Hicks wrote and directed 12 plays in prison. He said he really tried to focus on his mental... Like health and his spirituality, and he hopes to produce work um for a community in the future. He wants to include a play about his own life and performances inspired by the quote old heads who shared their wisdom to him in prison.
0: That's the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life, and yeah, the yeah. only good part of the story that the only good thing about the past fifty minutes that you've told me yeah.
1: He was released in December to his brother's house. Um, he said he was beyond happy
0: and overjoyed.
1: He says, "I feel a hundred pounds lighter," Aww. but he did say, um, in a couple like interviews, "It's unfortunate and sad that it took how long it took for me to clear my name." I've been saying the same thing since day one. Duh, 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 duh. The things that are promised to citizens should be delivered. A fair trial and a fair look at what's being presented, he said in another interview, "It's about being released. It's a joyful day for me and my family. At the same time, my thoughts and prayers are with the countless others who are not coming home today or ever because of an impulsive, ill-prepared, and apprehensive cop. The way that cops approach black and brown men and women stems from years of systemic racism. We need a whole new system. So now that he's finally home, Mr. Hicks says that he's proud of himself for staying strong and remain, remaining determined to prove his innocence. Um, he said, yeah, he always was going to maintain his innocence, even if it meant getting out early. And that, yeah, for now he just wants to hang with his family, but in the future he wants to get back to his place.
0: Aww. And yeah,
1: so Mr. that was... Mr. Hicks. I know. December 2020 that he just got released to his family. Um, there's a little podcast, a quick little epi on, Spotify, or on SoundCloud. I don't know why, but it's called... It Maybe that's just what it's on. It's called Wake Up With Word, W-U-R-D. Posted on December 21st and it's a little interview between Tremaine Hicks and his attorney. Um, and then there's also, I'll link it in the show notes, but if you go onto the Innocence Project, they obviously have a little article about him, which includes to a link to his Amazon wishlist and a little link to, um, a page where you can donate to him and his story.
0: Send me the wishlist immediately.
1: Yeah, I will. He has, like, big items on his wishlist, so, like, good for him. I donated at the page. Oh, <laughs> But... Not to, like, brag. I wasn't trying to say that. I was no, but... say, I don't have money to buy him, like, some of this. He had, like, a washer and dryer on his Amazon oh, wish list. Which, I mean, good for him. He should. Yeah. The government should buy everything I was going to say, I think
0: the government owes him an unlimited wish list for the rest of his life. Yeah, they
1: should. They're, like, his Amazon wish list. But, yeah, you can um, donate. I'll link it. But it's mightycons.com slash stories slash termaine Hicks. Well, like that.
0: Imagine if everybody yeah. who listened to this episode could just donate five dollars to his cause.
1: That'd uh, be more than amazing.
0: It would I make would me feel that. better <laughs> about this horrific episode.
1: Yeah, I um, it, it was, was really hard. I feel I like cried a couple times researching that story because it's obviously really depressing. Thinking that every woman's worst nightmare is literally what WL went through. And everyone hopes for it to be saved by somebody. And then yeah. that happens. And it's like, first of all, what black man, or any man in general, what man is gonna want to help an innocent woman when they know that they could be shot at by police for you're just right. helping?
0: You're right. It's, and it,
1: WL never gets justice.
0: You're right. And it's, it's just horrific because, you're right, the one person who really needed justice in this story was um WL and it's just horrible because clearly everything that happened to her was overshadowed and drawn out for years and that wasn't her fault and that wasn't Mr. Hicks's fault either because he deserved to have justice as well so it's not just like one-sided where we need to fix what's going on with police we need to fix what's going on with you know survivors and victims and
1: Exactly. And like, yeah, he would have gotten out eventually, but twenty five years. Twenty five years.
0: That could be someone okay, but in you That's know, your
1: whole kid growing up. Like
0: it's not yeah, it's not, not even nothing. about that. It's not even about that because we all know how hard it is for Someone in America to get a job coming out of prison, let alone for a black, a black man with a felony conviction and a sexual assault to get a job coming out of prison.
1: Yeah, and imagine going in 2001 and you're coming out and it's 2020. The world is crazy.
0: And it's just... Your one night that you went to go get cigars, yeah. imagine how many times help. in jail he thought to himself, If I didn't just go try and help, if I didn't just go get that cigar, right?
1: And he did nothing wrong, he literally. And the worst part is that people say, You know, there, white people and people in general are always try to look for some excuse of like, Well, he shouldn't have done this. Mm-hmm. There was nothing he could have nothing. done nothing he, he did didn't exactly have a gun what they said he tried taking his hands out of his pockets exactly which like is they what told they told him. him to do that's the part that i don't understand is First of all, why would they tell him that if they were just going to... I just don't understand what they were necessarily They wanted
0: thinking. to be heroes, and they wanted to get the guy who Yep, they was... did. They
1: wanted to get it quick and just shoot him. And when they... I definitely think the second they realized, first of all, this guy's not in the clothes that the people said he was in, and he doesn't have a gun, he's not the guy. Mm-hmm. And right then and there... You know what is wild to me, though? How did that officer, how did Officer Vincent have that gun in the first I place?
0: I know! Where stolen, did he get it?
1: They never said, stolen out of another officer's home. She never even realized it was gone. It's like, what were you going to use that for?
0: Plant it? How many? Right? And then, you just
1: carry a backup weapon? And, and that that's crazy! The two officers who show up, both have been accused, one's accused of planting evidence, and the others accused of perjury.
0: Yep. And we expect That's America. For- we expect that group of people to give this black man justice. It's fucked from the start. It's, it's like so what saddest. this is why when yep. people say fix the whole system, this is what they mean. Like he never stood a chance yeah. because of the way. And
1: the saddest thing is, is that I don't even you know Officer Vincent. In the officer, I'm forgetting his other name, with a Z, they really could have been fine if they would have just been honest.
0: Why not just be honest? Why not
1: just be honest and say? We his back was he, turned. His back was turned. We thought he had a gun. We can't see. It's been two seconds since someone called. Mm-hmm. They would have been fine. And if... they could have tried to find, find the, the person who actually did it.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: They could have just awarded him some simple compensation which who knows if he would have even gone
0: and now it makes you wonder how many guns that officer that one officer stole what? and was planning what was that for to plant on people
1: uh-huh really makes it makes you wonder a lot of stuff crazy thinking that other officer, you know, it's like they must, who knows if they talked about it on the scene or if that was just protocol, like, you know, the blue promise that Officer Ellis showed up and just said that the gun was in the guy's pocket, even though it clearly was not in Hicks' pocket, since right. he, there wasn't blood in his pocket. It's just so messed up. It, it breaks my heart, and um I hope to Hicks, I'm so sorry for everything he went through, and I really hope that... You can try to enjoy your life now, I mean, I'm sure you can, but I'm so sorry for mm-hmm. what this system did to you.
0: My story is not much better, so it's mine's going to be just as horrific, honestly, but i everyone, if you guys want, I hope that you guys um could see the meaning in the story that we're trying to tell if you stuck along thus far, we apologize for ruining your day. But maybe we can make someone else's day a little bit better by donating to Mr. Termain And we will have those um in the show.
1: Yeah, the links will be in the notes. And um, go donate on his little page or buy something on his Amazon wish list. Yes. Thanks for listening, guys. We're sorry. It was depressing. But, hey, the truth sometimes, it's not always happy. But you have to tell it.
0: Yep. And if we're all pissed off about the story and don't talk about it, people aren't getting justice. And maybe by a raising awareness, W.L.'s um, attacker could still be caught.
1: Exactly. Also, um, if you want to donate even more, donate to the Innocence Project. They're obviously amazing.
0: Yes, thank you to them.
1: All right, well, we will see you guys soon for another sad little episode of Wrongful Convictions.
0: Yep, we'll be back to fuck your lives up again soon.
1: Sorry, but not sorry.
0: Sad bye. Sad bye. 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 Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew.that'screepypodcast or send us an email at ew.that'screepypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.